this one particular day, I went and stood on this scale to donate plasma, and I saw the red lights of this digital scale flash 201. And I couldn't believe I was over 200 pounds. And how could my family love me? Like, what was, how was I even going to face them again? The devastation, it's like something inside me just broke. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My next guest has been married for 25 years and has seven children, three in-law children, and three grandchildren, with a fourth on the way. She has a passion for teaching and has taught children, teens, and adults in religious, personal, and professional settings for over two decades. She started out her coaching career helping people through weight loss and emotional eating for eight years. Two and a half years ago, she became certified through the ICF and CCA and now loves helping parents and teens navigate the difficult path of parenting and adolescence. What a chore. I am pleased to present Diane Passy. Diane, are you ready to share your story of hope? I am so excited. I am definitely (laughs) ready. So, yay. This is going to be fun. Diane and I go clear back to high school days almost. Mm -hmm. She was one of my sister's best friends. And so we kind of know each other from back then and have reconnected through Facebook after she shared a very, very personal story, which I'm going to invite her to share today. So I'm excited to have her on. But before we dive into that story, a little known fact about you is that you have a crested gecko named Creo. And I have to ask about this because we have a dog. And the reason we have a dog is because my children, it's one of their stress relievers and they will love on this dog and talk to the dog and play with the dog when they are not as apt to talk or be as open to me sometimes because teenagers are tough. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so my question is, why a gecko? Okay, so first of all, a crested gecko is the absolute best pet ever. It doesn't stink. It doesn't bark. It's easy to take care of. I have loved lizards and reptiles for a very, very, very long time. And my children found this crested gecko and gave it to me for Christmas. They all went and pulled <laughs> pulled their money together and gave it to me for Christmas probably three years ago. And it is the coolest little animal. If you haven't, if you haven't seen a picture of a crested gecko, you've got to look at it. It's got these little eyelashes and its little fingers um, are just so delicate and it licks its eyeball. Like, so <laughs> cool. Dogs cannot lick their eyebrows. It's actually funny. I, <laughs> I, I have kept my crested gecko in my office and I had a cute little client who loved my crested gecko and she would come in and hold it during, during our sessions. And she really tried to convince her mom that a crested gecko was the em- emotional support animal that she needed. <laughs> Um, they don't, they don't qualify, uh, legally as an emotional support animal, but after she reached some of her goals, 
then her parents did allow her to pick a little crested gecko. So they're just, isn't isn't that a cute story? So they are easy to take care of. They're beautiful and just a lot of fun. So I... I love it. I love that he's mine and mm. that like how many adults get to have their own pet? <laughs> you know, that's I, true. <laughs> we kind of have inherited, you know, we inherit pets when our kids have a pet and then they leave the house and then they yep. leave with you. And unfortunately that's, well, okay. I shouldn't say unfortunately, but <laughs> sometimes it is. That's how we end up with some of our pets. So I love it. I love that. It's just mine. That, that makes it really fun. That is so fun. Oh my goodness. That, that is really cute. I guess I'd never thought that a gecko could be an emotional support animal, but you know, different people bond with different types of animals. So it makes sense that those who would gravitate toward that would be so excited to have that and hold that maybe even as you were saying during a session. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. Well, you know, I think anything that distracts your mind from whatever you're going through at the time that kind of gives you something else to focus on can serve as an emotional support animal of some type. Um, And so, yeah, you know, officially there's only a certain few animals that can be technically emotional support animals. But like you said, there are like different animals that people gravitate towards. I don't know if I call a fish an emotional support animal. (laughs) Yeah, you can't hold a fish. No, no, you can't hold a fish. And my fish have never sung to me like they do in Finding Nemo. So, (laughs) you know, they don't talk to me and I find them quite boring. But, you know, I suppose maybe watching the fish swim in water might be comforting. I don't know. I don't know. We can make, probably make a case for anything, Tamara. (laughs) That's probably true. We could. I bet between the two of us, we could. <laughs> we, uh, or, or between our kids, we probably could. Yes. <laughs> Depending on what the, kids, what the kids are wanting at the time. That is very, very true. Oh, my goodness. Well, thanks for telling me about that. I, I never would have pictured a gecko as an emotional support animal. So I've learned something new today. Yes, yes. So let's dive a little bit into your story. And why don't you take me back to being a young mother and, and where you were at that point? If I'm, I'm happy to do that. If I can just go back a couple years further, because I think it kind of helps understand how it is that I kind of became, you know, so like put in the situation that I was. Um, when I grew up, I felt like my worth was based on how my body looked. Was I skinny? Was I overweight? Was I not overweight? Was I, uh, what was the number on the scale? And my first diet that I went on is when I was in fifth grade. And I, during that time that, you know, you go from fifth grade, a lot of girls are, are hitting puberty and, and they do get a, gain a little bit of weight and, you know, you get a little bit curvy In my family. There's not a lot of curvy people in my family. My, I have a teenage son right now who is a size 28 waist and 34 leg, you know, as far as length of legs. Um, And that's kind of how the majority of my family was built. I'm tall, they're petite. I'm um, built with like just a bigger body set. And so I very much felt like I stood out. I'm five, nine. So I was much taller than a lot of my friends. Mm -hmm. And I just, from the time, from about that time in life, I started becoming very self-conscious of my weight. 
and went on several diets throughout junior high and high school and never felt like I, my body was okay and that I was okay. So fast forward to being a newlywed and my husband loved me and I had had um, one pregnancy and then, and then got pregnant pretty quick after my first two kids are 20 months apart. Mm. And I think the combination of being pregnant two times close together like that, and just my body makeup, I am not somebody who is meant to be super skinny. Mm -hmm. And I had put on some weight and I didn't, weight was not something that, you know, you, you talked about very much. In fact, when I talk about weight openly, it makes some people really uncomfortable. You know, you can ask mm -hmm. boys all the time what they weigh. My teenage boys will tell everybody, you know, <laughs> how much they weigh. But yep. um, for women, it's kind of like this taboo subject because so many of us base our value and our worth on that number on the scale. Being 5'9", I always have weighed more than like my sister. My younger sister is, is 5'1", if she rounds up. And, you know, it's just teeny and I'm always going to weigh more than her because I just have a, a bigger build of a body. But that was a really difficult because I think the culmination of all those years of not of having all this shame about my body and having this second little baby. Uh, my my daughter was probably about four months old. I we were very, very poor. We were going to college and. I decided that I wanted to start donating plasma. I uh, didn't, I didn't work outside my home and I wanted to do something that would what a lot of the college students in, the, in this college, I was in Provo, Utah, mm -hmm. what a lot of them do is you go donate plasma. If you go like the first time you got 25 bucks, the second time you get like 35 bucks or something. Mm. And I thought, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do all this good. Well, I didn't own a scale. And really dreaded getting on, on a scale anywhere. It just was always a very emotional experience for me. But when you go and donate plasma, they have you step on a scale to get your weight. And, you know, they pit prick your finger and they, they go through all these motions to make sure that you're healthy and that, and that everything is good. This particular scale that they had was kind of a, like a doctor's office scale, more like maybe we see nowadays where it was a platform you stepped on and then there was a digital number. Instead mm -hmm. of, it wasn't one that, you know, you, you move the little weights over. Yes. Um, that was, that was kind of more common. So having that digital number was pretty triggering to me. And I went one particular time and it was, I was kind of in a dark place already struggling with depression and, um, and some anxiety. And I, and I had been for years, I hadn't, you know, we didn't talk about it much back then. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is 25 years ago, we were maybe starting to talk a little more about mental health, but uh, not as openly as I think, well, in even now, I, we talk about it a lot more openly now, but it, the conversation obviously needs to be even bigger because yes, it's still so hard, so hard for people to to talk about. So already kind of in a depressive state with a lot of shame. I, this one particular day, I went and stood on the scale to donate plasma. And I saw the red 
lights of this digital scale flash 201. And I couldn't believe I was over 200 pounds. And I couldn't tell you what I was wearing that day, if I had my shoes on or off. Like, I don't know. I mean, I have been 200 pounds so many times ever since. Like, it's not like that big of a deal to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to do a lot of brain work to kind of help me talk through that. It's just a number on this scale. But that was completely devastating that I was over 200 pounds. I didn't know anybody over 200 pounds. I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine that how could I be somebody that was over 200 pounds? How could my family love me? Like, what was, how was I even going to face them again? You know, mm-hmm. that's just not what normal people weighed. And the devastation, it's like something inside me just broke. And I sat down as they processed my paper, you know, my, the rest of my, my paperwork and whatever my finger poke was. And I started just really thinking about how that shame just being so strong. How was I ever going to be able to keep going and cope? And what would happen if I wasn't around anymore? And it's really interesting if I had been, I had had suicidal thoughts before, Mm-hmm. but this time I started very specifically and I kind of thought in general, what would life be like without me? But this time I started really considering specifically in the specifics of how, what would happen with my daughter? What would happen with my son, my husband, he was in school, had a job, you know, and really logically, I kind of like thinking things through logically, logically started following this path of is this the time that I just can go? Is this the time I I don't know how to face this? I don't know what to do. And is this my time that the world would be better without me and that it would be time for for me to be able to to just to just leave and let everything go on without me? I I knew I'm a I'm I'm a pretty empathetic person. So I knew that my husband would be sad. And I knew that my kids um, would be sad, but I figured my husband was young enough that he would be able to find um, another wife, that my kids would be able to grow up in a home with a mom that they wouldn't be ashamed of, that they would be able to um, not have to be around me anymore. And it seemed so logical. It seemed like, why wouldn't I give them an opportunity to have a mom who was, was okay. You know, a mom who Mm -hmm. was, didn't have this heavy shame that was attached to her. You know, I I Mm -hmm. look around when you're in a college town and you live in these college apartments, there were all these, so many just teeny teeny women and I just thought there's so many more women who are better than I am like everybody Mm -hmm. is better than I am and I'm being unfair to my family to stay around any longer um and so during this time it's it takes it takes a while it it was there was a you know waiting period of time and then and then you sit down to actually start the donating of donating the plasma and um kind of sat and watched as they they kind of 
they put this needle in your arm, like if you're giving blood and then they kind of spin the blood out and, and put it back in your arm, they spin the plasma out. I just remember just watching that. The TVs were on. I remember seeing TVs on, but everything was just a blur as I sat and I planned it out. I knew because I thought about it before that what would be the most sure and best way for me to take my life. And I knew exactly where the items were that I was going to use. I knew exactly how I could do it. They were easy, easily right there in my apartment. My husband was watching my kids, but he had, I don't, I can't remember if it was class or work or something right after. So when I got home, he was going to leave and I would be able to follow through with my plans. And I, I thought it through and I thought it through and I had a lot of time to really, to really like sit and logically make sure that everything was going to happen. Was this really what I wanted to do? And I decided it was that this was going to be the best thing, the best thing for everyone. And I didn't want to have to face this challenge anymore. I didn't want to have to feel anymore that my value was so much connected to this number that might not ever what if it never changed, you know, or what if it, what if I stayed 200 pounds? Like that was just, I just couldn't fathom how horrible that would be. And so I knew that this was the right thing to do. And when you're, it's an interesting when I have found that when I'm in those really dark times, when I feel like I'm so, so deep in a hole, it's a very selfish um, experience. It's when I'm, I'm, when I'm really depressed, I'm thinking about me. I am the, I am the center of, of all my thoughts. How are things going to affect me? I, you know, how am I, things going to be, be better without me? And it's hard to look out. It's like, almost like um, you kind of close off in a shell and you're looking down, your shoulders are slumped. Like I, there's an actual posture that we kind of do to, to close off from everybody. You don't get as much air because your lungs are not filling up with as much air. And it kind of perpetuates this feeling of depression because you, Mm. you're just hunched over. And, and when I was done, I donating plasma, I got in my car and it was a little bit of a drive, but I sat and I thought through everything step-by-step over and over again, because I had to make sure I didn't, I didn't want to get there and get home and not follow through. Mm. If I was going to, if I was going to do this, I wanted to make sure that I accomplished my goal and that, that nothing, you know, that there was anything that might possibly stop it, that I had to make sure that I had a plan for everything. So I, I arrived home. I, um, we lived on the first floor of our apartment complex and I walked in and I didn't, I didn't want my, anyone, you know, my husband to know how upset I was or anything. I'm, I'm sure in the moment, he doesn't remember this experience at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in the moment he, if he was aware that, you know, I was upset, he would have maybe been able to see signs, but um, I went back into the room that, that I knew that, I could, you know, I could, I could start the process in and he didn't leave. I needed him to leave because I, 
he would stop me and I, and I couldn't have him stop me. And he didn't leave. And I don't remember the reason why he didn't leave that day, but it was like, he was just, wasn't leaving. And it was like, it was normal for him. I don't know if we decided not to go to work or if his class was canceled or he just had other things to do. But um, I was kind of frustrated. I was frustrated that he was thwarting my plan. I had planned everything out, but I hadn't planned him not leaving. Like I had planned mm-hmm. like all these other things, but not him not leaving. And when I came to realize after a few minutes that he was going to be around and that I wasn't going to be able to follow through, it opened up my heart to I think this pain, I think the planning stages and deciding that I was going to take my life and all of that, um, in that stage for me, I wasn't feeling all the emotion and I was obviously in pain because Mm. it was in that place to start with. But once I realized that I was going to still be around, that's when the real pain from the shame and where I was and what I felt about myself and how low my self-worth was, that's when it really came. And I remember standing in this little hallway, we had cinder block walls and, and um, just standing there and sobbing. And my husband came and just hugged me. And I just remember sobbing and sobbing and laying on my bed and just crying that I had to keep going. It was so, seemed so much easier to leave than it was to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to deal with keep going. It was just going to be, um, if I ended it, it would, that was it. And that was, I was, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. And I didn't have to think about it anymore. And the pain would be gone. And so when that moment came, that was, that's when it got really, really hard. Um, because then I had to think of what am I going to do now? What what are my, what are my options? I have to, you know, I have to like, I have to keep going because I don't know, you know, when, I don't know how this is going to work again. I had this all planned out and now it's not working. And, and so now what? And so you had to pivot and make a new plan of surviving. I did. I, did. I had to decide, okay, now what? And at the time, I was not very good at opening up. Like I said, I, I didn't tell my husband until years later that that had been my plan. And he had said that he had remembered that he had stuck around for something, but it wasn't, he couldn't remember what either. But I had to decide, okay, well, if this is how things are meant to be, if this is what God is telling me is that I'm supposed to still be around, then what? What am I going to do? about this? How am I going to become a different person or how am I going to improve myself or how am I going to deal with this painful thing Mm -hmm. moving forward? And, and what am I, yeah, what am I going to do from here? And so it it was, it was coming kind of coming up with a different plan Uh, was a lot of just allowing pain and allowing myself to work through that pain and that shame, I didn't go back to donate plasma anymore. Mm-hmm. It was too hard. It was too triggering. It was recognizing that this, um, th- these thoughts that I had about these numbers on the scale weren't healthy. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know what to do about it. But it was just recognizing 
that it was, that I was not in a healthy place with that. And feeling, I think, I think the other tricky thing is that when you are really depressed like that, being able to feel God's presence is hard. You are just not in a place to think outside of yourself. So I wasn't thinking, what would God want me to do? What, you know, what do I feel like is right thing as far as what, what God would want for me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instead you're thinking selfishly, you're thinking of yourself. And so trying to determine, well, why am, you know, why am I here? Why is this even, why is this a thing for me? You know, why is it so hard for me and not for other people in this area? And what am I supposed to do with it mm-hmm. going forward? And it's, and you know, it's a, it's, it's been a long process of many, many years of kind of working my way through that, but it, that definitely was the start of tr- re- recognizing that something needed to change and that I was going to have to be the one to change it. And it wasn't going to be the, it wasn't going to be the easy way out. It was going to have, I was going to have to do it the hard way, which was to keep going. Hmm. Wow. And that, that takes some courage. I mean, it really does to, to make that kind of a decision in your mind that I've got to go the hard way. I don't want to go the hard way but I need to go the hard way. You know, that's hard. You know, it is hard. And I think that's one of the things we, when we hear of somebody attempting suicide, when we hear of somebody who maybe um, has been suicidal before, you think of that moment or whether it's an attempt or whether they just have been suicidal and they've thought about it before. And we kind of think of that moment being the really hard part, but and it certainly is hard, but really moving forward, that's, that's what takes the courage and the bravery. And those are the people that you just, you know, that I just might, it's so, it's because I, because I've been there before. I, I've been there in that dark place where I was ready. So I understand where you come from. If it goes, if you go through with it, you know, I understand but if you don't, there is a sense of bravery. There's a sense of maybe resignation, but kind of trudging up the mountain that's been placed right there. And you just know you've got to do it. And I might be grumpy and sad. And, you know, as I kind of start trudging up this mountain, but there was no other way around it. I had to, that's what I had to do. Mm. Wow. So how did you? find the courage to take those steps every day, Diane, what did you do? Like, what were you thinking as you pulled out of that and faced one day each minute at a time and said, I'm, I'm going to move forward? What, what, what did you do to give you the strength to do that? Uh, well, Tamara, I think you said it really well that it is that taking one day at a time, one step forward I feel like, although I might not have been able to feel God just so, so strong in my life at that point, I was able to have moments of joy and relief. And looking back now, I, I can see that that was God's way of communicating with me. My, my, my daughter, my little girl that I had had was a very cuddly, loving, snuggly 
daughter, she was extremely easy to, um, to raise. And she had around this time had started having where she wasn't thriving with breastfeeding and, and we switched her to a bottle and um, around that time and kind of gave me some other things to focus on and kind of helped me come out of that. And I think with, with the help of, of, of God, of heavenly help, I totally believe that in our life, when we go through these times, that there are absolutely angels and loved ones from the other side that are right there along with us, just helping us make it that one day, that one afternoon, that one evening help, um, puts people that put people in our path. I had a couple of friends that I developed very close relationships with at, during this time that also were struggling with their weight and their, their self-esteem and their, and their body image. And I would look at them and I think they're so wonderful. Like, how is it that they can be so wonderful and not be teeny tiny and I'm not wonderful you know, how, how can that be? Mm. And realizing that, that really people's worth and value really were more than what they weighed. They didn't have people help. They didn't ask people to serve in our community or, or in our church or, you know, whatever capacity because they were skinny. They asked people because of what was in their heart Mm. and so help, I think having God help me see that there was a purpose and that I wasn't the only one having somebody else there that was also feeling some shame and, you know, and struggling with their weight. I think that those were really big blessings for me that, that were definitely put into place when I needed them so desperately. Wow. You've hit on several important facts there. One, serving, that serving others like your daughter gave you um, something to live for. Um, and, and thinking of her problems took you out of yourself enough to realize, it gave you a sense of, I need to help her. And, and I think that's interesting that, that by serving, we do get out of ourselves and less focused on what our problems are. And yet by helping others, God blesses us with that sense of joy. You said that there was a joy in, in, in being of service to your daughter and being a mom. And um, I love that you also brought up the, the importance of heavenly and earthly angels, uh, because that is something we've actually talked about on several episodes of my podcast. And it is, it is, so, so true and so, so real that God brings um, both heavenly angels into our lives to help us keep going minute by minute. I know I've discovered that in some of the darkest moments of my life that I had to learn to pray for angels. Mm. Um, And it, it really saved me on this one particular night where when my son Nathan was crying uncontrollably, solably no matter what Mm. we did and I finally had to tell God I don't know what to pray for anymore we've tried everything and Mm -hmm. then that's when the thought came pray for angels Mm. so sometimes I think we have to go through these hard times to realize that um, to learn these hard lessons that hey we're not really alone (laughs) 
and we can pray for angels, that we are worth that blessing and that prayer and that they will come, you know? Um, yes. And I think that we, we just don't realize that we absolutely have that right. And if I were on the other side, if I, you know, through got in a car accident or, you know, something eventually when I pass, I will absolutely, I can't imagine not being there to help my children when they needed it and my grandchildren. I have a picture that I love. It's, it's a, I have it in a big print and um, I also have it on my screensaver on my phone and it's called, she will find what is lost. And it's by an artist, um, Brian um, Kirschnick. And I don't know if, I don't know, Tamara, if you're familiar with this picture, but there's a woman who is kneeling and praying and there's all of these angels that are coming, coming down around her and surrounding her. And when things get hard, I often picture I have this army. This is the painting. I'll picture this. I've got, I do. I have people around me, whether they be earthly angels or whether they be heavenly angels, certainly a combination of both. I just have to just keep going one more step, one more step. And God will, God will provide that. Um, there was a country song that was really popular at the time. Uh, I can't remember. Um, your sister loved it, but I believe there are angels among us. What, yes. Um, yeah. Do you know which one I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I do. And I, I, I loved that song. Like, you know, that, that, that could be a thing. I just love that. And so I think being also knowing that you can be the angel for somebody else, but you have to look up. If you remember, like when you, I'm really, really feeling that deep depression, I'm down, I'm, you know, my shoulders are slumped, everything. If I don't look up, I will miss all the angels. Like I could mm. have one standing right in front of me, but if I don't bother to look up to get my head you know, look up for the light, look up for that little glimmer, look up for the joy, look up for something. If I don't have that hope of something there, then I'm going to miss it. And I don't, I don't want to miss it. And so I keep looking and watching and praying for the angels and praying for my ch angels to be with my children and helping them and I think God is a good God and he wants to bless us and he wants to help us oh. by providing that. No, I absolutely agree. And it's interesting. I know I have um, a sister who struggles with uh, major depressive disorder. And so this is something I'm, I'm very, very familiar with. And, um, and, and she has described to me the, being in those dark, dark places, kind of like you have. And she said, when you are that down and dark and deep, she goes, it's hard to even feel anything mm -hmm. good at all. Mm -hmm. You know, and you mentioned that as well. So, so what do you do when you can't feel the joy? What do you do when you can't feel the hope? Diane? You know, everybody's going to have their, you know, something that reaches them. A lot of people can, it's sometimes music. It's mm. having a phrase of a favorite song, a hymn, a, a song you loved as a child. I think sometimes, you know, hearing that, hearing, having a phrase and recognizing that 
that phrase um, or that that little piece of music. I think music can help. I think we have to talk about in our society more and with our children more the importance of speaking, of talking. It's hard to talk about how you're feeling when you're there. I worry most about uh, friends, family members, when I don't hear from them after a while, then I, you know, I know something's going on because you shut yourself off and it's too painful to, it feels so painful to open yourself up. Sometimes people say things that are, you know, they mean to be helpful, but they can be so painful and we have to be very careful to know what to say, um, you know, how to say things because these people are, you know, you're in such extreme pain at the time. And, you know, I think just realizing, I think recognizing that there is a higher being, whatever that higher being is for, for each individual, that, that there is somebody, something there that really does care about you and love you and is aware of you. Just having hope in a higher power and a higher purpose than that moment and if you can establish some of those fundament, f- fundamental beliefs before you get to be in that really bad place, then sometimes you might even have even forgotten, you know, a certain phrase, or you might have even forgotten to that that there's a God that loves you, or, you know, but those, if it's in your brain, it can be brought to the forefront of your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you put something good in your brain, then you never know when it's going to be remembered again. And so filling your life with things that are positive and uplifting and are going to help you feel better during hard times. And then talking, once you talk and you open yourself up, it's like popping a balloon. It just, there's so much relief that comes, especially if you can find the right person who isn't going to judge and is loving and understanding and will just listen. Mm. Oh, I love that. It's almost like you need to have a a list, uh, whether you write it down or in your brain or something of, these are the things that help me when I'm down. Yes. And with my clients, we will make a list of, okay, if you are feeling down because you're not going to be able to remember it in the moment. So let's, let's practice a power phrase. Let's Mm. practice saying to yourself every morning a little verse of a song that that is there and let's let's practice some of these coping skills and and techniques so that when you're feeling really down they're already circulating normally in your brain instead Mm. of feeling like I am have no value I am not worth anything having a little power phrase that say says I'm strong come back into your remembrance because you've practiced saying it whether or not you believe it it's in there it's the Mm. power of positive affirmations and unless you have done that unless you have created a list of coping skills whatever that looks like for you a list of simple easy um, resources that you can go to in your brain it's a lot harder to pull yourself out so mm-hmm. now I have this little toolbox of, of um, music is powerful to me. So I have a couple different songs that, that will replay in my brain or the visual picture. I, I'm also visual. So that visual picture of 
the painting of the woman kneeling with the angels around her. And I have these things that can come into my mind much easier. I can pull them up much faster because I practice and because I expose myself to them. And so when I start feeling that really, you know, really feeling down, I can remember, okay, wait, wait a minute, Diane, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. you are going to be okay that you're not the first person who's gone through this and you are needed and you are loved and you are strong and you are a survivor. You're not a victim. You're mm-hmm. a survivor and you ha- have a, a, a purpose and a job to do and people need you. So just, uh, yeah, it sucks right now. You know, life is really hard and this really hurts and it's, and it's, it feels like you can't go on, but, just look up, take another step, pray, do whatever you have to do to just make it the next minute or the next, you know, make it until lunchtime or make it until work is over or make it until you go to bed. And then, you know, the next morning, you're just going to do it again and keep, keep reusing that list of coping skills that, that you've developed. Hmm. So it sounds like a couple of really good coping skills for people that are struggling is first to remember your worth, mm-hmm. uh, write down positive affirmations, find music that will speak to you and bring you up, find pictures or thoughts that will inspire you. Um, you mentioned serving earlier mm-hmm. so that, you know, maybe get out and do something for someone, even a random stranger. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, even saying like hi and smiling to somebody, like smi- smiling and saying hi to somebody, waving to someone in a car. Mm. It's amazing like how much that can lift you a little bit. Mm. Giving someone a compliment. We have this wonderful like text messaging that we can do now that we couldn't mm. do mm. You know, way back. My kids say way back when we were clanking rocks together you know before the internet was and so you know sending a little text message out sending there's so many little things we can do and we think that service has to be a big thing sometimes we just you know if I'm going to make cookies I can't just make chocolate chip cookies because you know they're chocolate chip cookies I've got to find like some like world's best chocolate chip cookie or make some fancy cookie that takes four steps you know, I can't just bring someone bread. It's got to be like homemade bread. <laughs> still warm. You know, I want to make it all complicated. And serving really isn't that complicated. It doesn't have to be. And, and so, you know, reading, like hugging somebody, you know, reading a story to your kids or, or just going walk, walk to your mailbox and, mm. you know, wave to a neighbor anything like that, pick up a piece of garbage off the ground and go throw it away. Anything like that is a service and it's little and the little services are the ones that are going to be the best because you have opportunities to do them so Mm. much more often. And they don't Mm. take as much out of you when you already have very little to give. Mm. Oh my gosh. These, these are such powerful things and they are so important. I think everybody needs to have a, <laughs> or when I'm down in the dumps, list of things I should do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing that I tell people is that your list of things you can't have dependent on anybody else. So the Ooh. list of things that you cope with have to only involve you. So I, I have a client right now who is in their teenage years and 
their list when they came to first see me, see me was, well, I, if I spend time with my friends, then I feel better. Mm. Say, well, you know, that is a, that's great. And I love being with my friends too, but that can't be what makes you feel better because you may not have friends around. What if you mm-hmm. go to college and your roommates all do something and you're by yourself? Mm-hmm. If you can't find happiness and joy doing something by yourself, then it's not a good coping tool. So mm-hmm. you have to, it has to be independent of anybody else. Your coping tools have to be something you can do um, anytime um, by yourself and mm. something that makes you feel better. I can sing a song to myself. I can pull out a crafty, I like to crochet. So sometimes, you mm. know, crochet something. I can do all of those things, whether or not, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, whether or not I have people around or not. Mm. And and I love how you you mentioned um, talking to people. So obviously that hinges upon people being available to talk to, but if you can't talk to people, writing stuff down like journaling Journaling, or even praying it out, you can still get the emotion and the feelings out. There's ways you can do it that doesn't hinge upon other people, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, One of the most powerful things is writing gratitude. Um, Mm -hmm. I had another client who messaged me at work a couple of months ago and said, I am just, I'm so, so down and I just can't. I just, I just, I just can't make it and everything is going wrong. And I just said, you know what, find a scrap of paper. And by the time you finish your work shift, I asked her how long her shift was and she had like three hours left. Mm -hmm. I said, I want you to have 50 things of gratitude for me. And I don't care how big or small they are. I just want you to write them down. You know, and there's times that that you're mad at God and you don't want to talk to him. And I think God understands that. I think God Mm -hmm. knows that we are natural human beings and normal. And sometimes you're mad that things happen to you and that, or things have happened to loved ones. And if you don't want to talk to God, that's okay. Journal it out, write it out, start thinking of your gratitude and gratitude has shown to has been shown now scientifically to be so powerful. You will hear scientists, non-religious, I used to think gratitude was just a religious thing, but it's not. You'll hear scientists from all over talking about the power and the chemical change that happens when you do that. So writing that, they say that actual physical pen to paper is more powerful than texting or, you know, writing on a phone, but even writing on a phone is better than nothing, whether it's journaling, writing gratitude, whatever it is, but just write write how mad you are, write Mm -hmm. how much it hurts, write how all of those shame emotions and all of those dark things just write 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 and then if you can even come up with three gratitude things you're grateful for and you know things that I am grateful that this day is over I am you know I am grateful that this particular child is asleep and will be asleep for at least an hour you know whatever little thing it does not matter it is you're just grateful for something Mm-hmm. And it has that powerful effect. Mm. Oh, I love it. I know that's one of the things that I, I started journaling at least the three things I was thankful for every night, uh, probably about a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And it's powerful. You're right. It's it's a powerful technique. And it doesn't. And I try to think of things I was thankful for specifically that day. But if you're in a really bad place, 
you can go back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, yes. you don't have to think yes. about that day, especially if it's been a really bad day. <laughs> no, no, you don't. And sometimes you have to repeat one, you know, and that's uh-huh. okay. You know, sometimes you're like, I don't know what else. I'm still thankful for my shoes and chocolate. You know, I don't know what else. <laughs> and that's okay. Cause at least it's, it's, it's the habit, it's, you know, yes. you're, you're, you're still, you're still working on it. So Oh my goodness. This is so fun. You know what? We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, would you mind if we finish talking about lessons learned during your hard times and um, advice? We've been talking about advice you would give to somebody in a similar situation, but just kind of diving a little bit more into that and, and even a little bit about uh, a little bit more about your coaching and what you do now. Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm talking to Diane Passing. We've been having a wonderful conversation about how we get out of those dark times where we all have them. And and I think they've been especially predominant with COVID-19 happening. We've, we've all had changes in our life. It looks different. Things are hard. I, I know I've real, I've seen it more and more as my kids have tried to go back to school and things are on a hybrid schedule and it's just different. It's hard. So life is hard right now. So it's good to have coping techniques and strategies in place in a list form so that when you are down, you can check those boxes. But um, Diane, you mentioned while we were talking earlier this morning about uh, having a survivor mentality. Would you mind diving a little bit into that and telling me what that means to, to you? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I learned about this victim versus survivor technology from a man who lives Um, local in our town. And he came to speak to a group of youth and adults. And he was involved in a bombing in Belgium, I believe it was, where he received all these burns and these and the scars and all this pain. He was in in a burn center unit for a very, very long time. And he talked about the importance of being a survivor and not a victim because he could be victim to his pain in his circumstance, or he could be a survivor. And as I kind of mulled over what he was saying, I noticed that my body felt different when I thought of myself as a victim versus I thought of myself as a survivor. When I think of myself as a victim, 
like, even as I talk about it now, I can feel the difference in how I, how I feel. My victim is, my victim mentality is feel bad for me. I've had to struggle with my weight. I haven't always had enough money for the things I want. You know, I, I grew up thinking that, you know, I wasn't good enough, you know, and, and getting stuck. I get stuck in that, uh, you know, what about me, feel bad for me mode. When mm. I am in the survivor mode, it feels powerful because I can take my experiences and things that I've been through and I am moving on. I'm, I've conquered this mountain and I can, I can conquer mountains. Mm. I'm strong and I can make it through hard things and other people have made it through hard things that, you know, some of us are dealt and I, I, and I am not one of these people, but certainly there are people who are dealt a really hard, you know, beginning of their life. They're in mm. a home situation that's not ideal. They are raised in a school where, you know, there's a lot of hard things that have taken place. There's been abuse. There's been neglect, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If we get stuck, that that is, are the things that have happened and we can't get past to looking forward to being a survivor of those, then our life is always going to suck. You know, there will not be nothing good to look forward to in our life when we are, when we are stuck there. When we're survivors, we have power to change, to choose. Mm. We have power to take our experiences and bless the lives of others to make, help them make us stronger. Instead of the victim, you're, the, you're, experiences are, you know, they suck away, they suck away the joy and, and the control out of your life. A survivor takes those and says, well, no, I'm going to take these experiences and I'm going to build a wonderful life for me that's deep and diverse and full of all kinds of experiences. And I have control over what my story is and I have control. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't control what was in the past and whatever's in the past has happened but I can, I can control what I'm going to do with those experiences and how I'm going to improve my life because of them. Mm. So maybe it's a shift, uh, a mental shift almost to, it is. Yes. It, it's from thinking these things all happen to me to what can I learn from these things that happen to me? And just instead of looking at them as chains that are dragging you down, look at them as I've been through those chains and I am now free from them and I'm going to move forward despite them. Yes. Or even check out my muscles that I have from these chains. I mean, (laughs) maybe you're not free from chains. Maybe you have a difficult child that uh, you're like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to parent this child until I die. Like this is going (laughs) to be the longest, like what the heck did I sign up for? You know? Uh And so maybe, maybe those chains are going to, are going to stick around, but you get the buffest muscles, you know, and you can say, look what else I can do with these muscles that I've developed because of this hard thing. I can do all of these other things with these muscles. I would not have had these muscles. I didn't want the muscles. Okay. I didn't ask. Yeah. They were not, if I were given the choice to have those muscles or not, then I would have said, "Um, no, thank you. I'm happy being (laughs) wimpy. You know, give me the, (laughs) Give me the wimpy arms and I will take my, my jiggly arms over the muscles. But, but now that I have these muscles, I'm good. I can either complain about the chains that it, 
it is or the, you know, how I'm in this circumstance now that I can't change, I can complain about it and I can let it drag me down or I can lift my, you know, I can roll my shoulders back. I can take a deep breath and I can say, now, what can I do now that I have this experience and I have developed this growth? Now, what, what's, what's next for me? How, how am I going to use these muscles in a way that I didn't realize I could have used them? What's the blessing that comes from my muscles that can bless somebody else? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I know that is one thing that I had to shift into realizing. I used to pray uh, right after my boys were diagnosed with autism that God would take the autism away. It would be easier, right? Mm, for sure. And, um, and uh, you know, here I am all these years later, and I'm so glad that that prayer was not answered. Mm. And, and like you say, I can look back and see I've become more compassionate. Mm. I become more patient. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, right? No. But no. I've become so much better because of them. Um, it has molded me and shaped me and has it been hard? Oh my goodness gracious, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I have such empathy for uh, people that have special needs or people who are going through a hard time or people who've been in the depths of despair because I've been there myself and you've mm -hmm. been there yourself. You know, there is mm -hmm. an empathy. There is. And, and, you know, it's interesting that because we've been through those things, here I am, I've started a podcast, I've written mm -hmm. a book and here mm -hmm. you are, you're a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great feeling when you see that your experiences are actually able to even help one person. Mm -hmm. Even by reaching out and saying, here's my story, and this is what's hard, and having somebody say, come to you and say, Tamara, I have got these kids, and they're with these special needs, and they're so hard, and yeah. just having you be able to say, oh my gosh, I know, not even give them a solution, but just say, I know how you're feeling, and I'm so, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry that it's so hard right now, and you know, I'm, I'm here for you. And you're going to mm -hmm. make it through. One of, my, one of my power songs is called Beautiful Heartbreak by Hillary Weeks. And it mm -hmm. has the most amazing music video to it. I would look it up on YouTube if you've never seen it. And it, where it talks about, um, I've you know, this mountain being right in front of you. And you've tried to find your way around it. And you've realized that there's no way around the mountain. So brokenhearted, you start climbing. And then when you get to the top, that you realize and you get to the top of this mountain, you wouldn't have traded you that mountain for anything mm -hmm. that when you, when you can see the view from the top, it feels, it just feels like, wow, look at this hard thing that I accomplished and look at what I'm, look at what I'm doing. And I, you know, looking back, even though there's so many incredibly hard experiences that, that we can go through here in this life, there's so many blessings and ways that we can bless other people with them. A lot of the time you'll hear people who've been through hard things say, I wouldn't have given that up. You know, mm -hmm. I'm glad I went through that so that I could do A, B, and C so mm -hmm. that I could bond with A, B, and C. And I need people who have been through hard things to help me through my hard things. Yeah. You know, we, we all we need, all need that. We all need that, that connection, that human connection is, is very, very important. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing and so powerful. Um, let me ask you one other question. 
Now, we've talked about feelings of self-worth and how there are times when we just feel so down on ourselves and there's a lot of negative self-talk going on in our head. Do you, how do you think that plays in? Do, do I guess the adversary, we'll call him Satan here. Mm-hmm. The adversary is so quick to jump on when we're feeling down. Oh, absolutely. And not, I think not just, so he does jump on us when we're feeling down, but I think he always also knows how to bring up that shame. He knows where we feel the weakest. He knows Mm. that for me, seeing a number on the scale is going to affect me in a way that it different than somebody else seeing a number on a scale. You know, he knows, he knows me and he knows how he's going to get me down. And what I, what I have found and is that we can't necessarily control the thoughts that come in our head. Satan, we're here to be tested. We're here to learn how to, um, to survive and, and to thrive, but we can't, we don't get that to control that negative thoughts. They find, that there was some, and I, and I don't know the exact statistic. It was like our brain thinks like 65,000 thoughts in a day. And they have found that 80% of those are negative. And of really? those neg- yeah, and of those negative thoughts, about 20% of them, we repeat over and over and over and over again. So wow. we are just built, our brains are just built to have those negative thoughts be very easy to come by. It's not very hard for the adversary to come and whisper and say, you're not good enough. You, you know, look at this person and all the things that they're accomplishing and you're not there. And, you know, I think even as professionals, I'm sure, you know, there's something called the, um, oh, what do they call the, I'm a fake. What what do they call that, Tamara? Where you feel like you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? People are going to find out that I'm a fake. I'm just like the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. That's it. Like it's like for everyone where he's always like, what are you doing? Like, who are you to tell people how Mm -hmm. to deal with kids? You can't even control your own kids, you know, or whatever, (laughs) you know, or who are you to tell you how to make it through hard times? You're not, you're, you know, you're not making it through your own hard time. You know, he, he's there to whisper all of the things to us and we have to, so we don't get to pick what comes in our brain, what we do get to choose is what stays in our brain. Mm. And we can't just get rid of negative thoughts. We can't just, I've tried it and it just doesn't work. I can't just push them out of my mind. What we have to do is replace them with positive thoughts. And that's again, where some positive affirmations, where positive music and our environment that we have is so helpful. So that when Satan comes to me and says, who do you think you are that you're worth having here, that you, Mm. you think that you have anything valuable to offer the world, I can say, no, I am strong and I have been through hard things and I'm a survivor. So when I can repeat those things in my mind and I can make that side of my mind stronger, I'm, I'm going to choose what's going to stay in and what's not. And when he tries to be sneaky and sneak things in, then I can choose whether or not they're going to stay in or whether they're not, whether or not I'm pushing them out and replacing them with something that is uplifting, that's going to help me feel better about myself and help me be able to, to keep moving forward. Mm. That is, and it's so important to recognize that those negative thoughts aren't coming from God. (laughs) Oh, for sure. 
for sure. And that they're normal. We all yes, have them. They are everybody, normal. everybody's having these negative thoughts. Everybody, they're just, everyone's thinking stuff. It's just going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not because you've done anything wrong. You haven't, it's not because you're sinning or because, you know, God doesn't love you. It's just part of being here, learning how to, how to foster positivity and how to be able to have that, you know, take care of yourself in a way that, that, that you can give to other people and, and, you know, and, and help your brain be able to think past those positive thoughts and be able to kind of conquer that. I don't want Mm -hmm. Satan or the adversary or wherever it comes from. I don't want those negative thoughts to have any more space in my head than they have to have, Mm. but I have to choose that. That's a choice Mm. and not, yeah, not well, and, and when you think about it as a choice, it, it kind of goes back to that survivor mentality. I choose it. It's empowering. Mm-hmm. You know, it's empowering. You think I don't have to go down that same path that I've mm-hmm. gone down a hundred times to beat myself up over this. I can choose. I'm Yeah, for sure. And I choose not to believe these negative things. I choose to instead replace it with, I am strong. I'm a survivor. I have worth. I'm a daughter or son of God, you know, just putting these positive things in there that um, will help us and uplift us and combat the adversary yeah. because, because it is a battle. It's a daily it battle, right? It is. It is. And just because your brain thinks it doesn't mean it's true. And that's like a real PowerPoint, like for, for a lot of people to realize if your brain thinks it does not make it a fact, does not make mm-hmm. it true that your brain thinks all kinds of weird things, you know, but None of them are, have to be, like some of them are true. You know, I'm sitting in a chair right now. That is certainly true. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, I, but, but there are so many thoughts that come through that are not true. And we can filter out the things that are not true. And just, just realize that is not true. Mm-hmm. I am, a, you know, I, am I a perfect mom? No. But am I, if I tried my best, absolutely. And have mm-hmm. I learned and can I help other people through the mistakes I've made and my experiences I've had? I absolutely can. And so I don't have to be perfect to do that. In fact, my imperfections are what make me good at what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes me strong is being authentic and not being a perfect person. And so that's, uh, you know, when that comes in my head, I think, well, yeah, I'm not perfect. And that's why, that's why I am that's why I am who I am. And that's why I can reach the people who I can reach. And that's why I'm good at my job. Mm-hmm. So that's your, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I am not perfect. And it's okay. So Diane, tell me a little bit about self-care and why that is important when we're struggling. So we can't give more than we have inside of us to give. And it's a really hard, hard concept, I think, especially for women and moms to think that, well, of course we can, we can give. I can love my kids more than I love myself because, well, I feel like I love my kids more than I love myself. Mm-hmm. But you can't offer what you don't have inside of you. Self-care is so incredibly important to work into your life as somebody who you know, especially for um, if you're a parent, if you're someone who a grandparent or who works with people or whatever, for you to be in a place to be able to bless the lives of others and to help other people is 
very, very important and it's very powerful. And you may think that even though you don't feel good on the inside, that you're doing a good job faking it on the outside. And and that might be, you know, that might be true for um, neighbors and people you kind of see, but you're not serving your family in the best way. And you're not serving your spouse in the best way. And you're not serving yourself in the best way. So the importance of making yourself a priority and making sure that you have a full bucket or not even a, doesn't even have to be a full bucket, but that you have something in your bucket to give Mm -hmm. because lots of people can take and take and take, and you have to find a way to fill your own bucket. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of different strategies for that. And I won't, that's not what this show is. So I won't go into that right now, but there's strategies to fill your bucket and there's things that take away from your bucket and you have to be willing to make that a priority so that you can give and that you're, you can have a reserve. And, and, and let me just share really quickly. I, um, when I first started raising my kids, I grew up in a very traditional mind household and, you know, women did this and men did this and women take, took care of everybody. You know, as moms, mm-hmm. we, we take care of all the things and the dads come home and they rest and, you know, you massage their feet or something, even though <laughs> I've, ne- I've never massaged my husband's feet, but you know, Me neither. That, was the, <laughs> that was the idea behind it was that, you know, that, 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 that was our job. So by the time I'd had my third child and we were living back East and we weren't around any family I had given and given and given and given. And when my third child was born, my oldest child was three. So these were very close, very, very, very close together kids. And I was struggling with postpartum depression. I was struggling with just general feeling alone and anxiety and depression. And I had horrible thoughts about my kids, but I couldn't share them because then I was afraid they were going to take my kids away and I didn't dare Mm. reach out for help. I emptied and emptied and emptied my bucket and there was nothing there for me. And I was so depressed and I was in such a bad place and I was so afraid to reach out for help. And I look back at that now and think, what if, what if I would have taken 10 minutes to go outside every day and walk around my apartment complex? What if I would have had my own gratitude journal, a gratitude list? What if I would have closed the door and said, honey, I need you to take care of these kids because I need to just shower and I'm just going to like, sit with a journal or I'm just going to sit by myself for a minute and just have my own time reading a book or doing something that brings me joy or sparks, you know, sparks love or sparks appreciation for myself. What if I would have filled my bucket a little bit because so much of it is chemical for me. I don't think it would have taken it away, but I would have been in such a better place and I would have Mm. been able to serve my family so much better. And I would have been able to pull myself out a lot quicker because I would have been doing something to grow my, you know, to, to help me to grow and to help, help me to have that little bit of that self-care. And we think that serving, we just got to serve and serve everybody and do all the things and be all the PTA, all of these and volunteer in the classrooms and go on the field trips and cook all the dinners and make cookies. And, you know, we think we have to do those things. And I tell my clients, I'm giving you permission to not do any. You don't Mm. have to burn yourself out serving other people. Serving is great, but the little things that we talk, you know, the little service things are fantastic. You have to take care of yourself or you you physically, you're going to have problems. Mentally, you're going to have problems. Emotionally, you're going to have problems. That's not the way that God intended us to be. He didn't intend us to run faster than we have strength. 
No, and I think you're right. And don't you think it goes back to that feeling of self-worth that I believe I am worth taking 10 minutes or 30 minutes to a exercise, to journal, to I'm going to go and I'm going to schedule a time to go out to lunch with one of my friends mm-hmm. and get a babysitter to do it or, you know, that we are worth that. And yes, we are, right? We, we are have worth, worth it. Yeah. And, and even more important, if you can't, if you can't put yourself quite there yet, because sometimes that's such a jump for people to say, Mm -hmm. well, I don't feel like I'm worth it. Like, I don't, I don't agree with you on that. Then I say your family is worth it. Then your husband is worth you taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself. They deserve the best you and the best you is not going to be someone who's drained and exhausted and can't cope anymore. That's not the best you. The Mm -hmm. best you is is somebody who knows how to and models the behavior of taking care of yourself and knows how to put limits on things and doesn't say yes to everything. That's Mm -hmm. the best you. And they deserve Mm -hmm. that. So even if you don't feel like you do, the people you love, they do. They deserve Mm -hmm. it. So put yourself up there and, you know, and allow yourself, allow yourself to be an important part of your day, an important part of of uh, self-care becomes an important, essential, absolute necessity part of your day, no matter what that looks like. Ooh, just love that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This has been so much fun. Dan, I swear we could just go on forever. We could, we could. (laughs) But unfortunately, I'm sure my wonderful listeners (laughs) probably left for us to wrap it up. But Kate, let's talk about um, resources. Sure, sure. The the resource that I hope that most people know is going to be the National Suicide Hotline. Mm. And that is your state resources, at least I found for my state, everything points to that National um, Suicide Hotline. And I believe, Tamara, you're going to have that posted. Yeah, I have it. Well, I have it right here. It's 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. 8255. You can also Google them and search it and, and, and find more information on their website. And I'll you put can. a link to that in the show notes. You can. Um, I hope that, and I'm not sure how widespread the Hope Squad is, but I know it was started in, I don't believe it was started in Utah, but they have a very strong presence here in Utah. So my kids have been around the Hope Squad. And it's a group of kids, if you're not familiar with it, a group of teens that are trained in suicide prevention, that receive trainings weekly. They, they train them starting in junior high. They get kids from all different areas, you know, band, athletes, um, you know, kids who do well in school, kids who might have some special needs, and because they want a wide variety. And they train these kids to be aware and to watch for signs of suicide in their, with their friends. And I've had two children, um, I have one that's just starting this Hope Squad, um, but I have another child who is a sophomore. And about a year and a half ago, they were able to prevent a girl's suicide because wow. she reached out to one of them. And it happens, they say, it happens constantly. We don't hear about it all the time, obviously, privacy rules and, and, and there can be really personal things. But a hope, hope squads are powerful. They're run by your school's counseling system, but also through state funding. And those, for, as far as teenagers go, that's where so many of them are going to turn is to their peers. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, there certainly is the national hotline, but going to a peer and having a connection is so, so powerful. And so being aware of, you know, of, of what other resources, you know, are available. And if there isn't a hope squad, ask a school counselor, get the funding for it, get, get that set up because that in our community has been extremely valuable and has saved lives. Like we've just had, we used to be a, a high suicide area here in our county here for teens and for kids. And those suicide numbers have gone down quite drastically since they have implemented the Hope Squad. So I just can't say enough good things about that. And then I think the resource of just, we just have to open our eyes and be a little more aware. We have to look around and be willing. If you're feeling good, you know, if you're in a good place, be willing to look around and to just be happy, be, I mean, don't be overly, okay. Cause you know, when we're having a bad day, who wants an overly happy person, right? Be <laughs> sincerely love, love everybody, sincerely love people who you are with, take interest in who they are, listen to them, be careful with your judgments, be careful with your strong values and because you don't want you know your strong views about things it's certainly fine to have strong opinions but sometimes they can be so hurtful to somebody you know to somebody else and just know that everybody's fighting a battle you know and and you can't see it on the outside people look at me and they think you are always so positive and happy how is it that you ever struggle with <sighs> with depression like they just don't believe it and because mm -hmm. I'm I'm great at hiding it and so are a lot of people. Most people are. Most yeah. people. We, we learn how to cope. We learn how to look great on the outside, even though our world is crumbling on the inside. And mm -hmm. so just being, just loving people. I just think that's so much the answer. Just love, love, love. And if you come to a decision, what should I do? It's the loving answer is always the right answer. So what is the most loving thing? You will never look back and feel bad that you are too loving in a situation that's just not, not possible. Wow, that's beautiful. So Diane, I know there's going to be people who are listening that are like, I need to talk to her. I need my child to talk to her. How how do people find you? Oh, well, I would love, and I would love to connect with anybody. I certainly, and I, you know, speaking opportunities, opportunities to teach small, small youth groups, large youth groups. I've had a lot of um, experience with that. And I love that. I have a website. It's dianepassylifecoach.com. And you can find information of how to get in touch with me there. Um, I'm also on Facebook is my main platform, my main social media platform. I am on YouTube as well. You can find the same Named Diane Passy Life Coach. I have some YouTube videos, but um, Facebook. I have a we have a support group for parents, and uh, in addition to just general, you know, health and self care and and guidelines like that. And I'm happy, you know, happy to just reach out and whatever I can do with my experiences and my muscles that I didn't want to earn, you know, <laughs> I didn't want, but that are here, you yes. know. A, I allow me to bless other people, you know, just, just give me the opportunity to however I can to maybe my story will help one, one more person be able to hang on or have a, have a coping tool that they wouldn't have normally had or know what to do if you, you know, in, in a certain situations. And, and so that's my goal is to reach out as far as I can and be able to, to bless in any way that, that God needs me to bless. And share. So oh. that's that's how you can find me. And yeah. 
Thank Absolutely. you. You're welcome, Tamara. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and you're well, such a gracious host. So thank you. I'm just thankful you were able to dive deep and tell us such a, a personal and intimate story. And, and, and honestly, my hope is that by you sharing your story, somebody out there who's feeling discouraged um, and down can make it one more day, right? Uh, so hang absolutely. in there. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Diane. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, Remember, God loves you.